You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Thank you so much. Uh, I was just running out of gas, just trying to get here from there. I was going to jump on the stage, and I thought, is that a health and safety hazard? I'm not sure. It's so good to be part of the, be here at the mothership of Elam. Seriously, now honestly, we, we just love Botany Elam, and, and especially the work of what um, Steve and Bex um, have been doing here since with Pastor Luke and, and everyone that's gone before us. So it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be here, um, here at the Mothership. So um, we pastor the church in Hamilton, but at the moment, we don't have a church building. That's right. We sold our building. We sold our building, and um, I, um, we're following the cloud. Not sure, and so has anybody seen the cloud? <laughs> so we're, we're on this journey at the moment, and God's and we're um, we're we're in negotiations of another building. But hey, we're stepping up by faith where God is leading us, and we're excited about that. Um, you know, uh, just also just someone big shout out to uh, the Fistinitches, Andrew and Allison. It's good to have some of our Hamiltonian f- who, are, who, are, who are now part of Botany Elam. So uh, honestly, these these guys are like uh, amazing mentors, and I really look up to these guys. And good to see Teo on the stage. We borrowed him for our season, and good to see you rocking the Hamilton styles or rolling the sleeves up. So there's the Hamilton styles, and that's so, so cool to see that. Uh, but I really want to honor my wife. She's amazing. She is, um, she, she is definitely my Ezra. God said he will make Adam an Ezra, and Ezra is someone who is lacking, and I'm definitely lacking a lot. So she really makes up for a lot of that. So I really want to honor her. Thank you so much. I've, I've got a photo of my family. I don't know if you've got this. And, and this is, this is our, this, we've got seven children. This is our family, um, and so we've got seven children, we, and in this photo we also have, well, it's, so, it's such a big photo, I like the screen. Can I take the screen back to Hamilton once I, once I get a building? And so uh, we have seven children, in here we've got three in-laws, our daughter-in-laws in here, um, and also we've got, uh, we have like, um, like a whangai son, we have many whangai sons during our time, people just attach themselves to us in this photo, and also we've got four grandchildren, four amazing grandchildren, our, our eldest grandson, he's about eight and our youngest grandson, he's almost about two and two, and I've got granddaughters in between. And I know people say, well, you're too, you're, you're, you're too young to be a grandfather. And I say, well, that's what I said to my son, but that's a different story. Uh, and honestly, um, we love our family, and they really, really ground us in who we are. We do everything together, everything together. And sometimes I'm like, don't you guys have your own homes? Could you go home? But anyway, no, we love our family. So good. Hey, hey, um, Botany Elam, I really, um, God really laid on my heart a message that I want to share with you. And it's really based on a series that we do in Hamilton. We've been doing this series for the last five or so years. And, it's, and, and there's a series that we call Aotearoa. We call the series Aotearoa. It's looking back to move forward. It's looking back at our past and looking at lessons we can learn and apply it to our lives today so we can choose the very best for a future now. Right, and, and this is I really this is what laid on my heart. And I was thinking about this farmer, this farmer who had twin sons, twin sons. So meaning he's got he's got two sons, just in case. So two sons, right? And man, you, if you've got kids, you know that kids are so different, so different. And th- this this farmer, his twin sons were were chalk and cheese. One was extremely optimistic, and the other son was extremely pessimistic. And so he decided, I'm gonna do a bit of a test and see how different. See how they react. So it was Christmas Eve, so while they were sleeping, the farmer, he snuck into his son, who's very pessimistic, and he puts in his room all these toys, so many toys. And in the optimistic son's room, he goes in there, and he puts, and he, and he dumps a big pile of horse manure in his room, right? Anybody got a dad like that? So he, he, uh, so 
he, so he gets up in the morning and he goes to see how his, uh, his, his um, pessimistic son is, and his son is sitting on the bed soaking. He's like, oh my goodness, look at all these toys. Oh, imagine if my friends want to play with them. They might break them, they might lose them. Oh my, what am I going to do with all these toys? And the father sighs and he heads off to the optimistic son's room. And before he gets there, he hears this, this, this hysterical laughter coming out of his room and he opens the door and there's his son. He's, he's got the shovel and he's shoveling the horseman and he's throwing it over his shoulder. And he's just laughing hysterically. And the father goes, son, what are you doing? And the son goes, dad, dad, I woke up this morning. There's all this horse manure. There's got to be a pony around here somewhere. <laughs> but... but you, you know, you can have everything in the world, you can have all the material things in the world, and you can still be miserable, right? You can be a millionaire, right? And I've, you know, maybe, have you ever prayed this prayer, Lord, give me more money so I can solve all my problems? Like, right? That's, that's, that does, God, here's the thing, God will give you all that money just to prove to you that it's not going to solve all your problems. Just, I don't mind a million dollars, let me just say that. Someone's blessed me. No. <laughs> But here's the thing, some of the strongest people I know and some of the strongest people you know have been through some stuff, been through hardship after hardship after hardship, and they're still here, and they're here encouraging you, and they're championing you on, and they're like the strongest people that we've ever known. Their life has been like horse manure after horse manure, but they saw hope within the manure. There's got to be a pony around here somewhere. Here's the thing, I don't know that at at the bottom of every horse manure there's going to be a pony. But unless you pick up a shovel and start shoveling, you'll never know. You'll never know. If you're looking for a title for my message today, it's from, it is from victim to freedom. Oh, my goodness. From victim to freedom. I've got this really important information. I want you to, I want you to remember this. Hang on. I can't remember it myself. But I want you to remember it. <laughs> and and uh, when, I, when I think back um, at our past, and, and there's a man in our past that, that paints a great picture of this. And it's a man by the name of Piripi Tomata Akura. Everybody say Piripi Tomata Akura. Now, Piripi Tomata Akura, he introduces Christianity to the East Coast, to his Ngati Poro Iwi, right? Years later, years later, a European missionaries, they finally ventured to the East Coast, and they're astonished. They're astonished because what they discover is this well-organized Christian church system spread right, not just through Ngāti Poro, but right up across, right down along the whole um, east coast of the North Island. Not only that, but Piripito Mateokora, he taught his people how to read and write. Phenomenal. It's incredible what he did and what he did with the gospel. This is the 1830s is what he did. In fact, when we begin to look at the missionary era of the 1800s, what we discover that it was Maori themselves who were the most effective in taking the gospel to their own people. You, we kind of think, oh, well, it was, the, it was the, mission, the European missionaries who evangelized this country. It was Maori themselves who took the gospel from people to people, took it amongst themselves. In fact, in fact, by 1844, there will be 12 European missionaries in the country and 295 Maori kaifakako, missionary teachers. By 1854, there'll be 23 European missionaries and 558 Maori engaged in missionary activity among their own people. Incredible. Incredible. Here's the thing. Do you know what Piripito Mataakura and these Kaifakakos had in common? Is that they were all taken as slaves by the northern tribes. During the brutal musket wars of the 1820s, thousands were taken into slavery to by the northern tribes. 
right? And, and, and this is part, part of their role as, as slaves is, is that you, you have to work the fields so you can produce crops so they can sell the crops to get more muskets. It was, the, it was an arms race in Aotearoa. But also part of your role was to take the children of the warriors and, and take them to the missionary school so these children can learn to read and write. Amazing thing happened. These slaves learned to read and write as well. And these slaves, um, and, the, and so, and what did they learn to read and write? It was the gospel message. And soon many up north became followers of Jesus. And all these slave owners became transformed by the gospel. And you know what these slave owners did? They let go. They released all of their slaves. They released them. This is the 1830s. I don't know if you know how, how, how crazy that is. Because 30 years later, what happened in America in the 1860s? It was the American Civil War. Why was the American Civil War? It was because of, of the reluctance of the, of the southern states to release their slaves. In Aotearoa, the gospel transformed Māori. They, they freed their slaves, and 30 years later in America, uh, an opposite thing happened. It's incredible. I mean, Māori's ability to be transformed from the gospel is inspiring. inspiring. So what do these, 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 Māori, these, these free slaves do? They go back, to their, they go back to, their, um, to their iwi, back to their tribes, and they take the gospel with them. This is what they don't preach. They don't preach, we need to go back and have revenge, utu, bring some, bring some balance to what has happened to us. They didn't do that at all. They go back to their tribes and they say, we, it's, we need to love our enemies. They begin to preach Jesus to their tribes, to forgive, to, to, to see each other as brothers and sisters. This is what they do. Does this story sound familiar? This story takes me to, to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Incredible story. Right, and, and, and because if you're here, if you're new here, maybe you don't come to church that often. There's two Josephs in the Bible. Just in case you think, oh, I know that Joseph wasn't he married to jo- to Mary, the the mother of Jesus? No, no, no. This different. This is a different Joseph. This is a thousand, couple, a few thousand years earlier. This is Joseph of the Old Testament. Now Joseph, he gets sold into slavery. He becomes a victim. Why? Because his brothers were jealous because of the way that their aging father treated Joseph far better than them. In fact, Joseph's brothers saw themselves as victims, right? Like, oh, look, we work hard in the fields all day for dad, and he just praises Joseph. Man, we should be getting the praise. And they began to see themselves as victims. Here's the thing. When you're being mistreated, when you go through hardship, and when you begin to see yourself as a victim, and you, and you begin to camp there, you begin to live there, guess what hap- happens? We begin to act these things out, looking for ways to get revenge and getting, I'm, I'm going to get mine, I'm owed something. And that's exactly what Joseph's brothers did. They began to act it out. They, they allowed bitterness to take hold of their heart, and they acted it out. And they sold Joseph as a slave, and Joseph ended up in Egypt. Slave to Potiphar, captain of Pharaoh's guard. But here's the thing. Joseph, even though that he was a victim, he refused to have a victim mentality. How do we know that? Scripture tells us what happens. And so now he's a slave. He's a slave to Potiphar. Tells us in in Genesis 39, verse 4. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Let me tell you something. Potiphar wouldn't have entrusted him if Joseph was lazy. But Joseph was a, was a victim. He's oh, well, woe is me. I'm, I'm now a slave. <laughs> I'm just going to do bare minimal. Right? He doesn't do that. Because Joseph honored God. He loved God. And he said, you know, I'm in this place, but I'm refusing to camp here. I'm a victim of someone else's jealousy, but I refuse to have a victim mentality. 
And he picks himself up in his suffering and begins to honor those around who didn't deserve to be honored. When you honor those that don't deserve to be honored, guess what? You get honored. And Joseph rises up and becomes in charge of all of Potiphar's household. Oh my goodness, Joseph, everything's looking good. Man, you nailed it, Joseph. But when we read the story, what do we discover? Joseph becomes a victim again. He's accused of raping Potiphar's wife. Why the accusation? Because Potiphar's wife wanted the sleep of Joseph. He's a, Joseph's a young man. He's now in authority. And here's the thing about leadership. Be careful. Be careful because when you're, when, you're, when you're in authority, all of a sudden it's attractive. Right? He, his, Joseph refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife. I'm, I cannot. How can I dishonor my master? But Joseph could have been like, you know what? I'm a victim here. I, mean, I, I deserve that. I deserve to sleep with Potiphar's wife. I, beget, I deserve to get something of that. And that's when we've got to be careful. When you have a victim mentality, when you see yourself as a victim, right? And then you begin to feel entitled. I'm entitled to this. I'm going to take what is mine, what is owed to me. And I don't care if I hurt people. I don't care if you get hurt. I don't care if it destroys people because I deserve it. Because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. And this is, what, this is what the victim mentality does when you see yourself as a, as a victim. Because it's possible to, to be a victim without having a victim mentality. And I know that's possible because the story of Joseph tells us that. So Joseph ends up in prison. What does Joseph do? And, and sometimes when we're walking with Jesus and we're like, ah, it's like we're walking on roses and then all of a sudden we're in the valley and then, oh my gosh, I thought walking with Jesus like walking with roses. And then you climb your way back up. Oh, I'm all good again. Yes, I've overcome. And you find yourself in another valley. Right? What do you do? Do you just give us stuff this? I'm going back to how it was before. Joseph picks himself up in his suffering. He's in prison. A victim again. He's like, I'm going to keep to my last time I tried, I ended up in trouble. He doesn't do that. He begins to honor those around him who didn't deserve to be honored. And then Joseph was honored within that. What does it say? Verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. When you honor those around you, you too will be honored. Because that's how we honor God. Cut a long story short, Joseph is plucked out of prison. Because Pharaoh has this very strange dream, and and don't get figure out what this dream meant. So Joseph comes before Pharaoh, and, and Joseph says this real wise thing, it's not me that interprets dreams, it is God. So then Joseph tells Pharaoh what's going to happen. Hey, guess what, Pharaoh? You're all going to die. This famine is coming, unless you do something about it. So Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge, and in fact, second only to him in all the kingdom of Egypt. Joseph goes on to save Egypt and the surrounding nations. He then he then rescues his father and his brothers, and he brings his family under his protection in Egypt. Amazing story. When you look at Joseph's story and the suffering and the hardship that he went through, he refused to camp there. He refused to live there, and he picks himself up in his, in, in his suffering. Because you can either be bitter or you can make the world around you better. And he chose not to be bitter, but to be better, because that's how we honor God. And Genesis 50 is, is the crescendo, the crescendo of this story. I love Genesis 50. And verse 15 says this, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Right? Now, why? Because the brothers are thinking, oh my goodness, the only reason why he, Joseph was nice to us is because of dad 
but dad's dead, and now I'm sure Joseph's holding, is holding a grudge. Why are they thinking that? Because it's a, it's a human condition. We hold grudges against people because of what they did to us. How many of you in this room is holding a grudge against someone right now? Because they said something to you. They said something about you. They did something to you, and you're still holding this grudge. Right? I know no one in here. Maybe just in, just in Hamilton. Just in Hamilton. The mighty chief's country. Oh, go the Warriors. I'm trying to bring us back to you. You know what say about the Warriors? Like, I'm almost getting hope again, but I just don't want to, I've been there too often. I've been there too much. Anyway. <laughs> and so, so the brothers come up with a scheme, this plan, because you know, his brothers then came, they threw themselves down, and they said, we are your slaves, please don't hurt us. Laying on the floor, we are your slaves. And Joseph never asked himself this question of whether or not his brothers deserved to be forgiven, because he forgave them anyway. Why? Because wallowing in your suffering doesn't do you any good. All it does is lead you down a road of resentment, a road of bitterness and misery. Forgiveness sets you free from the shackles of this victim mentality. Yes, I've been unfairly treated. Yes, my dignity has been trampled upon. Yes, I've been talked about, but I'm not going to live there. Because you have a choice to be bitter or make the world around you better. Because that's how we honor God. And I love how Joseph, his response to his brothers, they're laying on the floor, please, we are your slaves. Joseph, he goes, shakes his head and goes, you idiots, pick yourselves up. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're related. I can't believe you're, sorry, wrong translation. Wrong tra- he says this in verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What the enemy meant for evil, God is turning it around to bring a blessing. This is not what Joseph is saying. He's not saying, well, Joseph's not saying that God planned for his brothers to do what they did. Neither does God plan for you to go through suffering and pain. That's not what he's saying. But what God can take a, a human evil intention and he can give you an opportunity to turn it around. See, this is what it means. When we look at this, this when we say, oh, well, God can take what, is, he, he can take what the enemy meant for evil and he, he, will, he can turn it around for good. We often think that God's going to pluck us out of our issues and our suffering and he's going to pick us up and he's going to put us in blessing. When we read scripture, it's, it, it almost never God ever does that. He doesn't grab Israel and takes them out of slavery and he drops them in the promised land. Never does that. But he works with you. He partners with you in your suffering. He gives you an opportunity to reflect his goodness in your situation, in your suffering. You, you have a choice. You can be bitter or you can, you can reflect God's goodness. You're made in the image of God. You're made in his image. And he's giving you an opportunity to reflect his goodness by forgiving those who don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm not excusing what people have done to you because what they, people, when I've heard stories and testimonies, breaks my heart. I'm not excusing any of that. But it's time to be free. Time to set yourself free. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to, to, to be to held captive to their memory. You just got to pick yourself up in your suffering and move forward. Keep walking for God partners with you in your suffering. He partners with you, give you an opportunity to reflect his goodness in a situation. God gives you an opportunity. What does this opportunity look like? 
it looks like forgiveness. It looks like love. It looks like Jesus. Get this, it looks like purpose, right? Because God gives you an opportunity to step into your purpose. And while you're in your suffering, while you're in your pain, He will give you an opportunity to step into purpose, to reflect what, what has been going on. Well, through the, through it says, the strongest people I know have found their purpose through their hardship. Speaking and encouraging people through drug addictions, um, through, through people who gone through, um, through uh, who've been sold uh, um, for this whole, this whole thing of being sold into prostitution. People who, uh, who found their purpose well in their place. Victims of someone else, but they refuse to have a victim mindset. It's saying that I'm not going to stoop to your level. I'm not going to let bitterness keep me down. I choose to rise above by forgiving those who don't deserve to be forgiven. Because that's how we honor God and that's how we reflect His goodness. Because you have a choice to be bitter or make the world around you better. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you? It means you get to choose. No matter what, you can't, we can't control what other people say about us. We can't control what other people do to us. But you can choose how you respond. You have that choice. You can choose to remain a victim or you can choose to be free of that by forgiving those around you. But you know what, what we do? This is what we do. We, we, this is what we go. We go, well, yeah, I'll forgive them, but when they say sorry. And, and that's why you've got a grudge. Because they haven't said sorry. And that's why you're still holding on to this thing. Yeah, I'll forgive them, I'll forgive them, but why is it still there? Because they haven't said sorry. Pastor, you don't, really, you don't understand what, what they did to me. Do you want to be free of this? When did Jesus forgive you? Right? When he was on the cross, his nail-pierced hands and his feet, and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't say, wait, hang on, God, I'm just waiting for them to say sorry. When they say sorry, I'll die. Right? He wasn't waiting for that. He died for you while you're still spitting in his face. He died for you while still cursing his name. He laid down his life for you. Jesus is a victim of our sin. It was our sins that put him there. But in his suffering, he laid down his life for you to set you free. So come on. When in your suffering, pick yourself up. In spite of the fact that you're being hurt, and in spite of the fact you're being mistreated, and in spite of the fact you're being forgotten, and choose not to be bitter, because you have that power, but choose to make the world around you better, that's how we honor God. Just like Joseph, and just like Piripito Mata Akura. You know, why why do bad things happen to good people? We've all asked this question in one form or another. Especially what happened in Esk Valley there in the Hawks Bay, and, and, and this question came up in our, in our small groups. Why, they, why do these things happen? And I love what happened. Well, what do we see in their response? We had, we had all that flooding and, and all that silt that came down and covered those homes. What do we see? We begin to see the, the goodness of God reflected in the people who came to help. Why do good things happen to bad people? So that we can reflect God's goodness in every situation. 
No matter what people do to me, no matter what people say about me, God will always give you an opportunity to turn it around because that's how we overcome suffering in life. Do you want to have a meaningful life? Then everything you do matters. Your life matters. It really does. The enemy's been lying to you for too long, saying your life doesn't matter. Who are you? Everything you do matters. Every part of your life matters. Nothing great is easily won. Do you know what that means? It means that if it was easy, it wouldn't be meaningful. If, 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 if I come last in a race because I didn't do any work, which is what I usually don't do, and I get a medal anyway, that is meaningless. Was it, was it even hard? Raising kids is hard, but it's meaningful. Working through your marriage is hard, but it's meaningful. Finishing your studies. Come on, is someone out there know what I'm talking about? Finishing your studies is hard, but it's meaningful. Walking the walk for Jesus is hard, but boy, is it meaningful. Come on. Here's, here's the thing. I ask, I ask God for strength, and he gave me difficulties to make me stronger. I said, Lord, that's not what I meant. I asked for wisdom and God gave me problems to solve it. I said, God, that's still not what I meant. I asked for courage, and God called me to sell our church building. Oh my gosh, do I need courage right now? I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people to help. Life is hard, but when we have faith, all things have meaning. Never define yourself as a victim. Oh, man. Come on. Stop blaming everyone else. Oh, I'm a victim here. You don't understand. I'm from a, I'm, I'm a, I'm from a solo home. My mom raised us by herself. We didn't have any. Stop seeing yourself as a victim. It's time to rise above. Yes, these things have happened to you. Yes, people have treated you misfortune, but you don't have to stay there. You need to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Picking up the cross takes suffering. Pick up your suffering and keep moving forward. Keep following Jesus in your suffering. And when you begin to do that, you know, Jesus didn't call us to be Christian. He said, follow me. Because you may be in the middle of the storm. He knows the way out. So if he knows the way out, you should be following him. So pick up your cross in your suffering and keep moving forward. Because everything you do matters. Don't let your past sabotage your future. There's always a choice. And by exercising the strength to choose, we can rise above the situation. You have a choice to be bitter or make the world around you better. That's how we honor God. Come on, let us pray. Father, we just thank you. We love you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, when we think of the tragedies and life that we go through, and Lord, there are times when we want to give up. Oh, but Lord, I, there's many times, Lord, I wanted to turn away and give up because it was too hard. But I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we are not alone right now. That there you are in our suffering. And you walk with us, you journey with us. And Lord, as I begin to look out, I see brothers and sisters 
who are walking together through their suffering, who picks themselves up and keep moving forward. And I, Lord, I thank you, Lord, I've discovered purpose. That, Lord, that I'm here, Lord, to, to lead people, Lord, just like how you got me through this. So, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to reflect your goodness. You know, I don't know where you are on your walk with God. I don't know what your relationship is with Him. Well, I, I know something. It was our sin that separated us from God. It was our sins that did that. It separated us far from Him. And that's why we've got this disconnect in our life. And, but God loved you so much. He loved you that He steps into His creation. And in the fullness of Jesus he dies on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to bring you back into a right relationship with him in his suffering. He picks himself up from the cross and he says, it is finished. Giving you, bringing you back into a right relationship with him. That's what he did for you. But you know what? You have the power to choose. You can choose to follow him or not. You can believe that he died on the cross to set you free or not. The choice is yours. You're in this room right now and you're like, a lot of emotions are going through your heart right now. But you know what? You get a sense of your spirit. You're meant to be here. And the reason you're meant, you, you got the sense in your spirit because your heavenly father is here. And he says, come home. But you need to make a choice. It's a choice that you make in your heart. You need to decide in your heart that today, I'm receiving Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Let me tell you something. When you follow Jesus, you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to land on your face. It's, it's not roses, but in your suffering. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. It's me, there's, you'll find meaning in life through Jesus. But you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision right where you are. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer and say, just repeat this prayer after me. Because it's a decision point. It's that you make this in your heart. You make that decision. Am I following Jesus or not? Do you believe him or not? Maybe you've, you've fallen out of relationship with Jesus. I know that I've done that before. But I'm here today to say, come on, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Come back home. Make that decision. You know, church, and if you're making that decision right now, in fact, those who are making that decision, Oh, this is what I want you to do. If you're making this decision, grab the connect card and, and you'll find second from the, from the top. There's a, there's a bit where you can take that. I'm making the decision to follow Jesus. Tick that box and hand that in. And why? Because we're better together. We're not meant to do life on our own. We're not meant to journey this thing by ourselves. The enemy will tell you that you're meant to be on your own and try to isolate you and think you can do this thing on your own. That's not what the Bible says. We're better together to journey together. But it's a decision. But you make that decision. Come on, I want, to, I want to pray for those making the decision. Father, those who are, who are making that decision right now, Lord, I know they're going to go through hardship. Lord, I know there's suffering coming their way. Lord, Lord, oh Lord I'm just being honest. Because it's not a bed of roses, but one thing I do know that we are not alone. You stand with us, you're for us, and it is meaningful. Life is meaningful because of you. So I'm praying for those making that decision, Lord. Strengthen them during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, give a hand for the Lord wherever you are. Praise Thank God. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.